The first thing that I think is the most important thing to do when you're writing a memoir is be different for other types of books, but especially, especially a memoir that has charge to it, something. And usually that's why you write a memoir because it's a big thing that's happened. I would really first advise them to get into the right mental and emotional healing place themselves. Writing a memoir to just vomit out what happened isn't going to have the same impact as a memoir that's written with the intent to help other people in a different way. And you can't do that if you're still processing your own trauma. This is Authors Alcove, where writers learn from writers. Readers get the inside scoop and everyone learns something. An episode comes out every Wednesday where writers share their latest work. Every other Tuesday, where us writers get taught by such experts as editors, book cover artists, and marketing execs and beyond. So grab a cup of coffee and let's dive into our next book. Welcome to Authors Alcove. This is Agnes Wolf. We are here with Amanda Quick, author of The Sex Trafficker's Wife. It's a number one best-selling seller, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, so when we first met, we were, were talking on the phone, and I was totally not prepared for the book that she was going to share with me. I had just got done recording with a, ch- a children's book author, and so my mindset was not there. So it was kind of a mess when I first talked to her. So fortunately, I think this one will go a little bit better than our first talk. So um, Amanda, what is your topic about? Well, my book is a memoir. It's a memoir of my life. And the experiences that I had from 2016 to just about 2020, when uh, my ex-husband was arrested for attempted human trafficking and my world exploded and everything, everything that followed. This is a non, so since it's a memoir, it is a nonfiction book, but so did you ever imagine that you were going to be a writer? No, no. In fact, I thought I, you know, in school and high school and and all of that, I was very analytical. I was very left-brained. Math and science were my things. I wasn't, I didn't see myself as creative. I didn't see myself as a writer. I didn't, I didn't think that was my path. I worked in IT. Um, I didn't ever expected to write a book. And then I did. (laughs) And what, I hate to say it this way, but what inspired this particular book? <laughs> well, so for me, the the message was really, really loud. I had a deep calling to write a book. I had a, you know, as I was going through the worst time in my life, people kept telling me, this is this is crazier than lifetime. So I, I know I'm living it. And after I got out of that situation and I succeeded at what felt like an impossible outcome, it was really, really loud for me to share my story and to share what I went through and to break the shame barrier and to talk about not just, you know, this horrible thing that somebody else did, but my experience through it and how I came through it onto the other side. And the calling was so loud that I, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. And so I wrote a book. I felt you did a really good job with the book. Your story is told in a very narrative way, going in chronological order. You share your thoughts during that time as if it was happening real time. Um, Why did you choose to write it in that way? 
I mean, truthfully, I didn't really spend a lot of thought process of how I was going to write it. I just sat down and wrote the book. Um, it was very much, I'm a very in my head person, you know, I am analytical and everything happens, you know, in my mind as it's happening. And so as I was writing, it was really just taking people through that experience so they can understand why I made the choices I made, what I was thinking at the time. It was really to take them back through the journey with me. And, you know, it wasn't a, a conscious debate with myself where I could write it this way or I could write it that way. It just, that's how it got written. And when people read it, a lot of the feedback is that they feel like they're on the journey with me. They can, they feel like they're with me and experiencing it with me. I've had people go, oh, I understand why you thought that what you thought as they're reading the book, because they're, they're in that energy right there with me. And so I feel like it's really important when, when talking about big traumas and why people make the choices they make that you may not agree with looking at the outside by being present with them and, and basically being in their head, you can understand on a different level, which can help people in that place today, understand how I also got to the place that I was able to get out. For those who have not read your book, do you mind just giving the brief background from beginning to end without, I don't know, there's really spoilers when you're reading something like this. So I No, yeah. there's not. I mean, I've been, I've probably been interviewed many, many times and given many quote spoilers here, but it hasn't, it hasn't stopped the curiosity. Um, <laughs> so in 2016, I was a full-time stay-at-home mom. I had three kids. They were very young at the time, one, four, and five. And one night my husband doesn't come home. I thought our life was pretty normal slash perfect in a sense. You know, he worked, he made enough money. I was able to stay home full time. We didn't connect like I thought we, you know, would want to, but we had three young kids. It was the season. I had all of the excuses in the world. And so when he didn't come home, I really didn't know where he was. And it took me till about five o'clock in the morning with him still not home for me to find that he was in jail, arrested for attempted human trafficking with a $250,000 bond. I still didn't believe that that was who, what happened. I thought there had to be some other explanation. I believed I knew who he was. I believed he was a safe person. And I set out to defend my family, essentially, and to help him and to get him out of jail and to put my family back together and to figure out what was really happening. And his story was very different than what the cops were saying. He admitted to soliciting adult women and in basically admitted to a sex addiction, but said that there was, he had nothing to, because the a charge was because of a sting operation offering young children. And so he, I would never do such a thing. I thought it wasn't real. I was trying to report it, all of the stories. And because I was so convinced that I knew who my husband was, I tried my darndest to believe him and to proceed as though he was telling the truth and that, you know, he didn't deserve in a sense to be charged with this horrendous crime. And so I had to support him in my mind. And I had all ton of trauma around my own dad not being around and what I wanted for my children and believing that the only way they were going to be okay is if they had both parents in a relationship because of my own experience and my own background. And, and so I proceeded that way. And in the state of Colorado, he not only did not go to jail, he received only four years of probation. He was allowed to move back into the house with and have unsupervised access to our children. And I thought at the time that was a good thing. And it took another probably year or so for me to start to see the unraveling of everything. And I started to realize I couldn't be with somebody who had cheated on me that many times. And I started to see manipulations. I started to see the gaslighting, but I still didn't see him as unsafe. 
And it took me seeing my own children in danger and my, my son in particular being sexually groomed by his father for me to really get it and me to go, oh, wait, this is the man who was arrested for trying to have sex with children. Oh, I see it now. And I have to figure out how to undo it. And I have to figure out how to get out of this situation because the court from the court side, I had supported him. And so I had deemed him safe. And from the court side, despite the fact that he had a felony sex offense and wasn't around allowed around other children on sex offender probation, he had full access to his own. And so from the court, the family court stance, he had full rights to have 50-50 custody. And so I had to then be faced with how do I, how do I unravel this? How do I prove he's unsafe without something worse happening? Because all of the systems put in place are only punitive, they're reactive after something has happened. They're not protective. I called Child Protective Services, called everybody I could think of, and it seemed like nobody could help me. And what ended up happening is I was I was sent to a, a psychic to uh, basically wake me up to realize that there was more I could do when I was giving my power away to the system to believe that I had to go hire somebody to fix this for me, because that's ultimately what I was doing. And once I shifted myself and she said, you have to, you have to choose, you have to really choose. And I was able to face myself in a different way. That's when things started to change. I got more information and more evidence almost overnight. And six weeks later, I had full custody of my children. And so that outcome doesn't happen in not only the state of Colorado, but any state for that matter. Most people end up sharing custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. Most people are living in fight or flight for the rest of the time they have kids because they are constantly gaslit. They're constantly mentally and emotionally, physically, sexually abused by these, you know, these people who are very unsafe in themselves and have experienced their own levels of trauma. But the kids are caught in the middle and the healthy parent is usually alienated from the children and a whole lot of snowball effects happen. And it was so, so important to me to put this out into the world because not a single person has ever written the story from the wife's perspective. We looked, we searched. When you write a book, they do all the comparables. They try to find similar stories to, you know, for market research and all the things. Nobody has else has ever written this book before. And it was even more important at that point that I do and that I do so and I make it accessible and I reach as many people as I can because I'm not the only person married to somebody who's who's done something like this, who's been in these situations. And I'm certainly not the only one to have children with them or to fight for custody from their abusers or their children's abusers, to be in gaslighting, gaslighting, emotional, mental, abusive situations. And so ultimately this is, this is why I'm here talking to you all and sharing this because it's, it's so important for, to me that everybody out there not feel alone in their own stories and know that there is a way through. And it does have to start with taking some accountability for the choices that we have we we have made. I chose to believe him. I chose to support him. I chose to do all of that. And yet I had to realize that I also had the choice to stop that support and to change how I looked at the situation and to take back control and ultimately get my kids and I to safety. I think that your book is so incredibly important, especially because, you know, like you said, there isn't very many books. Out, there isn't any you said out there. And not from I, the wife's perspective, at least. Yes. And I think that a lot of times people want to point their finger at the abuser or at the abused person being like, well, why didn't you see this? Why didn't you believe this? Why didn't you know? And I think it's important for 
them to have a voice because oftentimes I think they're afraid to share just because of the backlash that they have received. So, you know, you were very vulnerable in this. What was the hardest part about writing this memoir? Truthfully, it took me, I want to say two years um, when I, from starting to write the book to getting it out there and published. And that may seem like not long, but for me, that was tons of putting it down for months at a time. That was writing for days, really busy, and then putting it down for six months because it was, I had to relive in detail through my own eyes, everything that I experienced. And, you know, that includes all of the body reactions, that includes all of the triggers, everything. And it, it was a very cathartic and healing journey to do that. And yet it was not easy. Um, the hardest part to write in the book was transcribing the text exchange between the undercover agent and my now ex-husband, which I didn't discover and have access to until very near to the end of the story. And actually writing that out really showed me what I was still storing in my system because I was having, you know, a a full-blown, essentially panic attack as I was trying to write that. And getting it out there and getting it out into the world, I have received backlash. I have received people telling me, you should lose your kids too, or how, how could you not have known and all kinds of hate. And, you know, I share a lot of vulnerable things in the story and I do so intentionally. I do so to release the shame and the guilt and the judgment because nobody else is going to have worse things to say about my choices than myself, truthfully. And I take every backlash as an opportunity to recheck back in myself. Do I still believe any of that? Do I still have any of that sitting with me? Because Really, nobody can hurt me if I don't, if I know it's not true. And I know that I made the best choices I could with the information I had. And now I know different and I've made different choices and I've put myself and my kids in a different situation. And I think it's really important how we respond to that shame and how we respond to that judgment, because that's really what gets to be the example going forward. I get to stay out, stand out there loud and proud and say, yep, I made that really stupid choice, but I'm not the only one out there. And so I'm able to see that I made that choice and I learned from it and I changed and I changed and evolved and I've grown and I'm able to not sit in judgment of myself. And I'm able to see this, if anything, as the biggest growth opportunity, the biggest gift that I was given to become the person I am today. And I can be grateful now today to that experience because of the journey I went through, both in the experience, writing the book, publishing the book, putting it out to social media, sharing it on multiple podcasts and everything else that's happened since. And I think it's really important for people to realize it's not going to be easy, but if you're, if your why and the reason you're doing it is strong enough, you'll keep going and the benefits that come from it will change who you are in a way that can only help the world. I know myself, like I did not go through a very, not a similar situation, but I did go through something where I had a lot of people tell me, well, how did you not know? And it's, it's a very hard one until you, until you come to the terms with how could have I known, you know, like, and that's, I think is what people don't understand is like, we can look back 20 and have perfect 2020 vision when we're looking back. But when you're in it, you have to go based on the knowledge that you're given. You're only given so much knowledge and I think that's hard for people to understand. Well, how did you not see what everyone else can see now that we're five years later? 
And there's a there's a concept called cognitive dissonance and you you build your reality and you validate your reality based on what you know to be true. And you will literally be put yourself in a hall of mirrors in a sense to not see or not put those puzzle pieces together to the things that don't fit with your understanding of reality. And it's a it's a very complex and yet common thing, especially people who have been gaslit and manipulated to not trust their own version of their reality. And so if your version of reality has been built on other people's perception of who you are, who they are, and then all of a sudden new information gets brought in that doesn't fit within that, you reject it. And that's to save your identity and to save who you know you are, because it's, it's, almost impossible to see another truth until it's irrefutable. And, and so for me, that irrefutable was seeing my own children in danger. And it wasn't when the police were telling me something because I didn't have any trust in them, but I did know my kid and I did know that my, something was wrong with him. And, and, you know, unfortunately or fortunately it took that, but it, it did, it did I did see it when I saw it and then, then I couldn't unsee it. And so all of a sudden everything that I had not been seeing was rushing at me and the puzzle pieces fit together in a different way. And it often takes something big like that where we either get backed up into a corner or something else happens and we can't unsee it anymore. And we can't live in that version of reality that was created for us anymore. But that's essentially what's happening. What what do you feel gave you the strength to be able to share your story in the way that you did? Um, I don't know specifically if there was like a moment or anything. It was really just this knowing that I, I did something that 99% of people don't do. And that was something wrong in the world in a sense as well, because the fact that people were living in, in such chaos and such trauma. I mean, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I was having full-blown panic attacks with every interaction. And, and I think that goes on for decades with people when they're in these type of situations and they're sharing custody with mentally and emotionally unstable people. And it really just felt like if I could do that, I could do anything. And what did I want to do? And how did I want to exist in the world? And how did I want to create from here? And you know, the fact that I'm a very privileged person in a lot of senses, socially and economically privileged, I had the money to have the fight. I I was taken seriously in court. I, you know, I, I am female, but I'm, you know, white upper middle class and had a huge amount of privilege to be taken seriously. And despite that, it was a very, very challenging fight. And to realize that the majority of people out there don't have the economic ability to start to have this fight. They don't have the mental and emotional stability to have this fight. They don't trust themselves. They don't have any of that. They have not even a chance. And so it just set off a fire in me to do something about it, to to make an impact on the world and to show people not only what was possible, but to start to try to build resources, to try to to try to help in some other way because I have the ability to do so. And in fact, just yesterday, I got news that my nonprofit has 5013C status now, and I can start accepting donations. And my intention is to help people have this fight in a way that they may not have been able to start on their own and have resources available. Do you mind making sure that you send me that link so I can put it in the show notes? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, no, it just, 
you know, and I have foundations that have been trying to trying to give me money. I just hadn't had this this structure set up right, and now it is, and that's exciting because that's one piece of things I can do. Uh, and what what does your foundation do? Um, the the goal of the foundation is to help people fighting for custody from their abusers and their children's abusers. I want to give them the mental and emotional support tools that they need to be in the right mindset to have this fight. Um, Depending on the the funding available, I want to be able to offer cash grants that can help pay for legal fees, that can help pay for evaluations and things like that. I want to partner with legal professionals in every state and every province to have the licensure to really have somebody who can be supportive in these situations. I want to also build community around people who have been there and can offer support in this way. And I really want to enable people to stand up for themselves in a different way and to not be at the mercy of the way the family court system is set up today and to realize they can drive the bus in a different way and they don't have to be victims to the system if they don't want to be. And you know, my story is an example of what that looks like. And so I want to set up the pieces in place for the people who don't have the resources that I did so that they can get to the situation and the, and the potential, at least, to begin to have this fight and begin to take back their power in a different way. And, you know, that's just one example of something that was set off in me just because I succeeded. And putting my story out there was another one because it needed an example for people to believe what could be possible. And you know, I also, you know, do do healing sessions and coaching supports and, and different things like that to try to help people get to the right mental and emotional place because it kicked off a spiritual awakening in me and an understanding of my purpose in a different way and what I'm here to do. And so I've just, I've really invested the last three years in my own growth and healing my own stuff and helping my kids heal and trying to figure out how I can help the world stop this whole trauma cycle that we've all been this we've all been experiencing because this is how the cycle repeats over and over and over again is you know the kids are raised by traumatized parents who separate and have a traumatized separation and then they go out to seek the same type of relationships and the cycle continues and on and on and i want to help be the cycle breaker in this situation especially i am so proud of you for starting that that is really awesome because this is called Author's Alcove, I do want to ask another question about the book. Um, who do you hope reads this book? I hope that everybody who has ever been in any type of abusive relationship reads this book to know they're not alone. I hope that anybody who has any standing in the family or criminal court reads this book and understands the system problems that are highlighted as you realize what what the reality is that happens in these in these families and in these situations. I also hope anybody who knows anybody who's been in in a traumatic situation and has judged them also reads this book so they can really understand why people stay in the situations they do and what it takes for them to come out. Because the hardest the hardest thing is to have judgment from the outside and all it does is isolate us further. And I really hope that a wide variety of people start to understand the truth of at least my experience and can have empathy for others. Something that you wrote in the book that I have been dying to ask you um, is when you started to realize that your sons were being um, groomed, and I think that this, this is important for even parents who do not have kids that have been groomed in any way, but what were some of the books that you were reading to them? Do you, ha do you know those off the top of your head? 
Yeah, the the favorite one that I quote in the book, and this one I re- I read to them, especially because of their ages at the time. It's a very um, accessible for young people, um, and my five year old at the time was able to understand it. It's called "Just Say No: A Kid's a Kid to Kid's Guide to Keeping Private Parts Private." And um, I actually met the author on a Facebook group recently, and it was super fun because. You know, she's actually sold like 250,000 copies of her book and is is well known in that field. But, you know, to, to meet somebody who wrote a book and had the impact it had was really was really kind of cool. But what the book is, it's it's basically a kid's story of being asked to do something inappropriate at a at a sleepover and what they did because of the conversation they had and knowing that they could protect themselves. And and it talks about red flags. And so from a kid's, a young kid's perspective, they could, they could understand what a red flag, what, what that was and what they needed to do when those things came about and, you know, teaching kids what, what is okay and what is not okay and what those boundaries actually are and what to do when somebody starts pushing those boundaries, I think is something that every parent, regardless of any situation should be doing because of the reality of the world today. And the other hard reality is that the majority of child abuse situations happen with known known caregivers or teachers or friends. And it's not as often that it's strangers. It's much more often that it's somebody the child already knows and trusts because that boundary movement is able to happen a lot easier if there's already some established trust, especially if you know the parent already trusts the person. So the child automatically trusts the person. And I think it's really, really important that kids start to understand what's okay and what's not, and that they can they can actually hold those boundaries up themselves. And, you know, teaching consent on a different level and teaching body awareness as early as three, four, or five is really, really important in any in any household, in my opinion. If you could send me a link to that, just so I know that I have the right book, that'd be really awesome. I, my youngest kids are seven and two four-year-olds, so I definitely want that. Like As soon as I read that, I was like, okay, I'm asking her that because I need it for myself. I'm gonna put it in the show notes for people because I'm sure other people, I'm not the only one that wants to, to have that. But I just wanna thank you so much for being willing to share um, your book. And, um, So I'm gonna ask the question that I do ask every author. What advice would you give to an unpublished author who would like to share their own memoir? I, first of all, would, the first thing that I think is the most important thing to do when you're writing a memoir, might be different for other types of books, but especially a memoir that has charge to it, something, and usually that's why you write a memoir because it's a big thing that's happened. I would really first advise them to get into the right mental and emotional healing place themselves. Writing a memoir to just vomit out what happened isn't going to have the same impact as a memoir that's written with the intent to help other people in a different way. And you can't do that if you're still processing your own trauma. And so really unwinding that trauma first and getting to the point where you can sit in non-judgment of self for the experiences you had can really, really help as you're writing the book And yes, things are still going to come up as you write it, but you're going to have a different set of tools to approach it in that way. And so finding some version of support, no matter what your faith is, what your stance on mental health is, finding a coach, a spiritual person, a therapist, it doesn't matter who or what, as long as you feel safe with them to have somebody to bounce this off of when you need it. Because if you're writing about something big, stuff is going to come up. 
And so really getting into that place yourself so that you can be in non-judgment as you're writing it and you can put the most, the most uh, important parts into the story because the other piece of advice is it's at some point you have to say enough is enough. I could have written probably twice as twice as much, but you have to get to the point where the the story is is has the meat that it needs and people are going to get the point that they're going to get. And then you have to be willing to hand it off. I was like, probably the scariest moment was handing it off to my editor to have somebody else read it <laughs> because I didn't know if I was a good writer. I didn't know if she was going to tear it apart. And so I highly had to be in a like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to give it off to somebody else and see what they have to say and being open to receive feedback on something so personal in a lot of ways and so vulnerable. And so there's a lot of internal work that needs to be done alongside writing something like a memoir. And I would really advise anybody out there doing that to have that support in place as they're doing it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your book and being so vulnerable on here. Um, and I actually am going to be interviewing you also for my VMRA um, healing podcast. We'll be going a little bit more in depth on that one. Anyway, thank you so much for being on here. And I, I also just want to thank my listeners for listening. And we, we'll have the um, book in the show notes and her um, new foundation in the show notes, as well as that book on um, children setting boundaries for children. Anyway, thank, thank you, you for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Authors Alcove. We will be back next week on Wednesday where we will have a writer share yet another piece of work. Also, every other Tuesday, we do learn from experts such as editors, marketing execs, book cover artists, illustrators, and more. If you are interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to go to authorsalcove.com, go to the podcast tab, and then click on Be a Guest. If you're looking for a healed heart, hop on over to our sister podcast, Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. You can find that on Spotify and the Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day.